is Minda Wilson from Urgent Care. I'm pleased to welcome my guest today, Joran Jenkins from Open Palm Law. Joran, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so when you were a young lawyer sitting in law school, did you say family law? That was what you were thinking about? Oh my, no, 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 no. You're you're thinking of someone, not me. Um, <laughs> I I went to law school. I uh, I went to my stepdad and I said, so what am I going to do? I've just graduated from Yale University. I'm 19 years old and I have a di diploma in English. And he said, go to law school. It's a good education. So I went to law school without a clue what I was going to do with my life. And it was only when I was halfway through law school and I was working at a law firm that I thought, Gee, you know, this this stuff is really fascinating. But even then, when I graduated, I went into commercial litigation. I went into prosecution. I did. Um, I taught for a while. And it wasn't until I opened my own firm, and I'd, I'd been in practice for 14 years at that point, that, uh, that I started doing family law because that's what folks would send me. You know, nobody wanted to do family law. They were all willing to send me that. <laughs> they wouldn't send me their commercial cases. So I started doing family law and um, I discovered um, something just really, there's something fascinating about helping families through the worst experience of arguably of their lives, the most stressful experience of their lives. Because look at it this way, you're getting divorced and that's supposed to be stressful all by itself, but you're also probably relocating from your home which is also stressful. And your divorce is usually the death of a, of a relationship. So it's all of those things. And then God forbid you should be doing it during the holidays. Uh, and it seems that, you know, people often stay together during the holidays for their families. But what, when, when people finally decide to divorce, it seems like the big the big thing, it's like a revelation in terms of finances for people often. Like the, oh, the oh my. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I can't tell you how many times I have been the one who said, do you know that you've been living above your means? And by the way, that's the two of you together. And now you're going to have to um, split up and, and that's going to be more expensive for both of you because everyone knows that two can live cheaper than that two together can live cheaper than, than two separately. And now you're going to be separate again, and that's going to be even more expensive. So you've been living above your means, likely have to file bankruptcy. A lot of folks get divorced and then discover that bankruptcy is the next logical alternative, that that's the next possible step. Um, and that's why? stressful. <laughs> and why is that? Why is that? I'm curious about that. Well, because... Because, because they've been living above their means. I can tell you that in a lot of my divorce cases, whether they do it in court or they do it collaboratively, they are finally learning to budget. We, we sit them down and in Florida and in most states, you're required to file a financial affidavit and we go through the financial affidavit with them and gee, they've forgotten to include their pet expenses. They didn't even think about FIDO. But you know what? They're spending $100 a month on that dog. Um, wow. They don't remember that they get their hair done every six weeks. And, you know, they're, they're um, earning 10 bucks an hour, but they're spending $300 every six weeks on their hair color and cut. Um, and so we go through all of these 
expenses with them and we make them realize how much they're spending and they realize they can't afford to live the way they've been living. They have to rebudget and that's stressful. Um, and, and they have to deal with the debt and that's stressful. It's, oh, it's just, you know, it's like dominoes. You play dominoes. Have you ever played dominoes? Oh my gosh. But so, but do you feel like there's a way to get people to, through this process to sort of change their behavior for the better to like, you know, tighten that belt and, and turn their life around personally and financially. Absolutely. I have had women, I stay in touch with my clients to a large degree. And I have had women who swore up and down that they were going to keep the house. They wanted to keep the house. And so, you know, we ended up, uh, uh, I ended up winning, if you will, and they got to keep the house. And then five years later, they came to me and said, you were right. I shouldn't have, I should not have kept the house. And I've, I've learned better to budget. I ended up filing bankruptcy um, or the house went into foreclosure or whatever. Um, but quite often when we do these cases, especially collaboratively, where we have a financial um, professional involved with the spouses and they have to sit down and they have to divvy up the debt. Um, and sometimes they do file bankruptcy together, which is better for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the financial professional really teaches them a lot about um, budgeting and um, and saving for the future and, you know, putting money away because let's, you know, remember this, how often have you spoken on the radio about the fact that people, young people especially, but people in general don't really save for their retirement years. Right. Um, it, it, it's horrible, but it's a true fact that many folks just don't know how to do that. Um, and so, you know, through this divorce process, quite often, I, I like to joke about the fact that uh, opposites attract. And I know that's true because I'm so often doing divorces between savers and spenders. Yeah. <laughs> one of them is a saver and one is a spender and opposites attract for sure. But then when they're married, they don't do so well together because one of them is spending all the money that the other's trying to save. And that's what causes the divorce, that they're arguing over the money and who's spending it and why it's being spent. And, but in the process of the divorce, we can quite often teach people to deal with their money issues in a better way. So we do. But, but don't you think that if they had had to do this before, that maybe they wouldn't have ended up in the divorce court? That, you know, wow, it's almost, it's, almost, it's almost like I planted you with these questions. We do something here in my office that is pretty much unheard of. We do what's called collaborative life planning. So we do collaborative divorces, which is a specific type of divorce where both lawyers sign an agreement that they aren't going to go to court. They're going to work on an agreement. And so we work with the couple. It's a collaborative process, getting them to a better place um, in their communications, in their finances, and, and they get divorced. But if they come to me before the thing that finally blows up their marriage, like Um, dad moving into their house with them because he's become incompetent or junior moving back home because he graduated from grad school, but he still doesn't have a job. Um, Or uh, one of them develops an illness that, um, that is, is very debilitating and very expensive. So we have all these financial type problems that are also emotional um, that often drive divorces. But if they come to me ahead of time, we can usually sit them down and sometimes sit dad down at the same time, sometimes sit junior down at the same time 
and work through these issues financially, emotionally, and yeah, sometimes legally without a divorce, legally where we craft an agreement and dad's going to contribute this and this much and mom's going to do this and, you know, the kids are going to do this much financially and or um, support wise and or emotionally and or by their actions. And we can work through these issues and avoid divorce. So that you're exactly right. We call it collaborative life planning. It's for when all those life events that I have seen over 40 years of practice force divorce on people, but we can um, address them before it gets to that point and save the, save the family from the divorce. So what happens with health insurance? I mean, how does that work when, when someone gets divorced? When you get divorced, um, the divorce, the event of divorce is an event that the insurance companies require you to tell them about. If you don't tell them about the divorce, you've committed fraud. And when you tell them about that event, they then terminate the health insurance for the spouse who is not the actual signer. Um, it's a way for them to um, stop uh, paying for that, that person, but it also forces that person to go find health insurance somewhere else. Same thing so, with life insurance. And what about, and, and, but the kids, they're, they're still on the policy, right? They don't lose their health insurance in a divorce. They, in theory, they should not. Um, sometimes spouses will be um, vindictive and take, take, certainly take the other spouse off the health insurance even before the divorce happens, which mm -hmm. they're not required to do. And indeed, in Florida and, and many other states, you're, once a divorce gets filed in the court system, you're prohibited from changing stuff. So you're prohibited from taking your spouse off your health insurance or your car insurance or your life insurance. Um, but sometimes there's vindictiveness and it happens anyway. Um, but the kids should be covered, continue to be covered with whichever spouse was carrying the insurance. And then in the divorce process, we can agree on which spouse will put the kids on his or her health insurance. Um, because it might make sense for one spouse or the other to keep the kids on. The other spouse still contributes to that expense through their child support, if there's child support, or directly, you know, whichever, whatever makes sense. So that, again, is another significant increase in cost because individual health plans are very expensive. That's exactly right. Well, and let, let us not forget that when you file your taxes, if you're um, unmarried, you know, there's a benefit to filing taxes married and you lose that benefit as well. So there, you know, there are benefits all over the place. But as I've always told my my child um, growing up, there are pros and cons to everything. And you just have to weigh them out when there's a decision to be made. You weigh them out and you, you know, you figure out where the pros are heavier and the cons are least heavy and you go with that decision. But sometimes you don't really have a decision to make and it's just being aware of. And knowledge is power. G.I. Joe said it, and it's true. Knowledge is, knowledge is power. Information is power. The more you know about divorce before you have to get divorced, the better off you're going to be. So, you know, know what your choices are in process. You don't have to go, to go to court. You don't have to do the Perry Mason thing to get divorced. You can come to an agreement. You can go to a mediator. You can go to, a, in some states, you can go to arbitration. Um, 
there there are there are collaborative attorneys out there who will be happy to help. So there are all kinds of ways. I do a lot of divorces where the parties sit down and and they reach an agreement. They both do their homework. They Google the law and find out what what their rights are. And then they reach an agreement, and then one of them comes to me and just has me draft the agreement so that it's it's um, they know it's really legal. It's not just you know their words on paper, but a lawyer has used the legal um, language to make sure that it says what they want it to say, and and they haven't you know accidentally written some ambiguity into it or some vagueness that can't later be understood. And how much of divorce do you think has control? You know the need to control things play a role in divorce? Well, um, if I understand your, your question, I often talk to my consultations. I do a process consult, so both parties can come to me, both husband and wife or both husbands or both wives, whatever, whatever it is, both parties can come to me to find out the different ways that, that you can um, try to reach an agreement and uh, because I'm not giving them any legal advice, I can do that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then even after that, I can be their mediator or I can be the lawyer for one of them. Um, and one of the big things that we talk about is control. The more the, the spouses control their process, the better off they're going to be. I often tell my clients, look, you are unique. Your family is unique and your divorce should be unique as well because um, every family is entitled to its own result. You know, if you go to court, a judge is only allowed to do what the legislature says the judge can do. So, for example, if, if in your family everyone goes to college, the judges in Florida cannot order uh, that you t- send your kids to college. It can't order that one of you pay for college. It can't order that you split the cost of college. You can't say anything about college because that's not one of our laws. It's not accounted for. But if your family expects your kids to go to college, then you can put that in your agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's pretty important, that, that degree of control. Um, really, it's about the uniqueness of your family. The law doesn't account for the uniqueness of various families. And if you reach your own agreement one way or another with the help of a mediator, the help of an arbitrator, the help of two lawyers, the help of one lawyer, doesn't matter, um, with the help with a, a mental health professional or a financial professional, all these people have been trained often to help in divorce situations. If you can reach your own agreement, you're much more likely to do what you agree you're going to do, and you're much more likely to be happy with the result of your divorce than if you went in front of a judge who doesn't know you, doesn't know your family, doesn't share your values, and just push, you know, push, puts you in a cookie-cutter divorce situation. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So because uh, – but, but don't people – I, I've observed in my friends who've been divorced that they sort of act out in the divorce the drama of the marriage, you know, that they, you know, the fights that they have seem to be, they can't let go of them, and that that impacts how much the divorce costs, and it also impacts, like, the acrimonious nature of the divorce, it impacts the children. Is that something you've observed? That is very true in the courtroom divorces, and it drives the prices for your divorce through the ceiling. So I've done divorces that cost anywhere 
from 100,000 to 500,000 per spouse because wow. they couldn't they couldn't let their anger and recriminations and vindictiveness go. But part of that is driven by the lawyers because the more you fight, the more the lawyers make. And so, you know, the the lawyers Sometimes inadvertently, like it, there are different ways of answering the same question. If someone comes to me and says, am I going to get alimony? I'm going to say to them, well, do you need alimony? Does, does your spouse have the ability to pay alimony? How long have you been married? How long do you think you should get alimony? You know, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Whereas there are lawyers out there, if you say, am, am I entitled to alimony? They'll say, yeah, absolutely, you're entitled to alimony. Well, <laughs> okay, excuse me. Nobody knows what the judge is going to do. And if I have a lawyer who says I'm entitled to alimony, then I'm going to be much more likely to fight and try and get alimony. And the other side, by the way, of course, is going to be much more likely to fight paying alimony, whereas if I am talking to the lawyer who says, well, do you really need alimony? And, and if so, why? And does your spouse have the ability to pay? Then you're talking about fairness and equity and, and, you know, doing what's right and what's right in your family, your particular situation. And now we're talking about, you know, trying to find a fair result for your family that's going to work for the future. So you're right. In a lot of divorces, it's about, what happened in the past and, and all the bad things that you did to me and all the bad things that I did to you. But in the divorces that I handle in my office, it's much more about what do you want your future to look like? What do you want five years from now to look like? What do you want your relationship with your ex to look like? Do you have kids? Are you going to go to the, to the marriages of your children? Are you going to be able to sit together in the same room and not, you know, stab each other? Um, and all those questions are really important. You, what's fascinating to read about is the books by, about and by children of divorce. And the kids, you know, when I was seven, my parents divorced. And my mother loaded all four of us kids in a van and moved us 3,000 miles away from my dad. And I never saw him again. I'm 62 years old. And I never saw my dad again. Wow. Uh, you know, for, 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 and that happens time after time after time. And then we hear about the divorces where the kids are adults when their parents get divorced because the kids, because the parents stayed together because the kids were young and then they finally got divorced when the kids were out of the home. And we think, well, those kids had an easy time, but you know what? They didn't have an easy time either. It's horrible. It's horrible. The impact of divorce if the parents go to court and fight it out, it's just, it's never a good result ever. So when you what so, so for you, not, do you, did that cause you to resent your mom? Because she, did, Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. You got there pretty quick. I was very, very, I was the oldest girl. I was very close with my mom. I suffered from anorexia when I was in college, which is typical of the eldest girl, smart girl, pretty girl, divorced parents um, where mom was in control. That's very typical. Um, and we were very, very close. And then when I was 36, I finally realized that she'd been lying to me my entire life, that she had told me that my father never paid child support and a bunch of other stuff. 
And then one day when I was 36, I was talking to her about why he tried to get in touch with me when I was 19. And she said, well, he probably just didn't want to pay child support anymore. And I was like, wait, what? You told me he never paid child support. So why, why would he not want to pay child support anymore? So, you know, you, two, there are four girls in my family. Two of us don't speak to my mother and the other two are still very close to her. But the family, the family is a very broken thing because of what she did. And I have no idea whether he deserved it or not. That's not really the question. I had to grow up without a father. What, how, how is that fair? Whatever my father was, I have, I have clients where um, the, there's one client in particular I tell this story about. He's a doctor. He's a lovely man. He has three lovely children. He married a nurse. And 10 years after they were married, she went bonkers. She became, technically, she was mentally ill. She was on meds. They had to, they had to bake her actor several different times. She was in facilities. And he came to me and he said, I don't want her to see the children anymore. And I said, why would you do that to your children? He knew my story. I told mm-hmm. him my story so he would know that I was coming from a certain place because we all have our own values when we bring those into the situation. But I said, why would you do that to your kids? For all you know, one of your children is going to be the next Sigmund Freud or the next Carl Jung. And the reason will be because he, he saw the problems with his mom, how she dealt with them, how you dealt with him, with them, how the world dealt with them. And, and he became interested in, um, in psychology and psychiatry. And that's where he went with it. You have no idea what, what the kids are going to do with the problems that the parents have. Mm-hmm. So you don't take those, you don't take those parents away from them. I tell people, you know, you have two parents for a reason that it's like having two eyeballs. You have two eyes because it gives you depth perception. If you take away one of the eyes, you can still see you're not blind, but you have no depth perception. Right. 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 So, so what you're, what you really, uh, you know, so at some level, once you marry somebody and you have children with them, the, uh, the best thing for the kids is to be able to find a way to collaborate with that person that you had the children with, even if you're no longer married. Right. That's right. The kids are entitled to that. Your kids are entitled to that, regardless of what you think about that, that person. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of us lawyers like to remind our clients, look, at some point you thought he was good enough to be the dad of your kids. At some point you thought she was good enough to be the mom of your kids. You chose her to be the mom of your children. Right. So, you know, you can't undo that. Sorry. It is what it is. And by the way, that that doctor father still remembers me telling him that I see him. I still see him fairly regularly. He's a doctor here in town. And, you know, I'll stop by and say hi and ask how the kids are doing. And, you know, he they they see their mom. They didn't see their mom for a year because she was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. But um, but, you know, when push came to shove and it was and she got back out and she seemed to be doing better and, you know, she wasn't a danger to them. They have a relationship with her. They do. That's amazing. That's a great thing though, you know, cause it probably, it probably helped them psychologically and personally, you know, seeing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe that. 
So if people want to reach out to you, learn more about your firm and what you do and this collaborative divorce process, which probably yields much better and much less expensive results than fighting it out in court. Oh, true. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What What's the best way that they can reach out to you? My law firm is open as in open and shut palm as in the palm of your hand law because an open palm holds more than a closed fist so it's openpalmlaw.com and you can find me there my name is joran jenkins it's a tough name it rhymes with lauren but it's spelled j-o-r-y-n i also have a website joranjenkins.com because i speak very often on um, on the collaborative law subject and on other related topics you can you can probably tell that I talk a lot. <laughs> and I it's a good thing too. To <laughs> it's a good thing too. It helps people. You know, I mean people have learned uh, some very important things today about, you know, about the benefits of working through even though you don't like the person today, you liked him at some point. So you, you should be able to work th something through with them this one last time. Well, and, and sometimes it takes the help of professionals to help you get there. I mean, mm -hmm. how many people do we know go to marriage counseling and work through the issues at marriage counseling? It helps. Counseling can help. Financial counseling helps. So we use financials and mental health professionals in our collaborative uh, divorce cases to help the folks learn to communicate better. I had a guy come out of his divorce. He said to me, you know what? I came out of my divorce a better person than I was before. His wife separately told me, I learned to listen to my husband again. It just sounds different when someone else says the same thing he just said. Right. And right. That, was, that, was, that was enlightening to me. That was really enlightening. <laughs> so people can reach out to you through your firm, through your website, um, and, right. um, I've been, it's been, it's been a great pleasure and we hope to have you back again. This is Minda Wilson for Urgent Care.